This is section 64 of Mark Twain, a biography. Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 168. Introducing Nye and Riley and others. It was the winter, 1888-1889, that the Bill Nye and James Whitcomb Riley entertainment combination set out on its travels. Mark Twain introduced them to their first Boston audience. Major J. B. Pond was exploiting Nye and Riley, and Clemens went on to Boston especially to hear them. Pond happened upon him in the lobby of the Parker House, and insisted that nothing would do but he must introduce them. In his book of memories, which he published later, Pond wrote, He replied that he believed I was his mortal enemy, and determined that he should never have an evening's enjoyment in my presence. He consented, however, and conducted his brother humorist and the huger poet to the platform. Mark's presence was a surprise to the audience, and when they recognized him the demonstration was tremendous. The audience rose in a body, and men and women shouted at the very top of their voices. Handkerchiefs waved. The organist even opened every forte key and pedal in the great organ, and the noise went on unabated for minutes. It took some time for the crowd to get down to listening, but when they did subside, as Mark stepped to the front, the silence was as impressive as the noise had been. He presented the Nye-Riley pair as the Siamese twins. I saw them first, he said a great many years ago, when Mr. Barnum had them, and they were just fresh from Siam. The ligature was their best hold then, but literature became their best hold later, when one of them committed an indiscretion, and they had to cut the old bond to accommodate the sheriff. He continued this comic fancy, and the audience was in a proper frame of mind, when he had finished, to welcome the twins of genius who were to entertain them. Pond says, It was a carnival of fun in every sense of the word. Bostonians will not have another such treat in this generation. Pond proposed to Clemens a regular tour with Nye and Riley. He wrote, I will go partners with you, and I will buy Nye and Riley's time and give an entertainment something like the one we gave in Boston. Let it be announced that you will introduce the Twins of Genius. Ostensibly a pleasure trip for you. I will take one-third of the profits, and you two-thirds. I can tell you it will be the biggest thing that can be brought before the American public. But Clemens, badly as he was beginning to need the money, put this temptation behind him. His chief diversion these days was in gratuitous appearances. He had made up his mind not to read or lecture again for pay, but he seemed to take a peculiar enjoyment in doing these things as a benefaction. That he was beginning to need the money may have added a zest to the joy of his giving. He did not respond to all invitations. He could have been traveling constantly had he done so. He consulted with Mrs. Clemens and gave himself to the cause that seemed most worthy. In January, Colonel Richard Malcolm Johnston was billed to give a reading with Thomas Nelson Page in Baltimore. Page's wife fell ill and died, and Colonel Johnston, in extremity, 
wired Charles Dudley Warner to come in Page's place. Warner, unable to go, handed the invitation to Clemens, who promptly wired that he would come. They read to a packed house, and when the audience was gone and the returns had been counted, an equal division of the profits was handed to each of the authors. Clemens pushed his share over to Johnston, saying, "'That's yours, Colonel. I'm not reading for money these days.' Colonel Johnston, to whom the sum was important, tried to thank him, but he only said, "'Never mind, Colonel. It only gave me pleasure to do you that little favor. You can pass it on some day.' As a matter of fact, hard put to it as he was for funds, Clemens at this time regarded himself as a potential multimillionaire. The typesetting machine, which for years had been sapping his financial strength, was believed to be perfected, and shiploads of money were waiting in the offing. However, we shall come to this later. Clemens read for the cadets at West Point, and for a variety of institutions, and on many special occasions. He usually gave chapters from his Yankee, now soon to be finished chapters generally beginning with the yankee's impression of the curious country and its people ending with the battle of the sun-belt when the yankee and his fifty-four adherents were masters of england with twenty-five thousand dead men lying about them he gave this at west point including the chapter where the yankee has organized a west point of his own in king arthur's reign in April 89, he made an address at a dinner given to a victorious baseball team returning from a tour of the world by way of the Sandwich Islands. He was on familiar ground there. His heart was in his words. He began, I have been in the Sandwich Islands twenty-three years ago, that peaceful land, that beautiful land, that far-off home of solitude and soft idleness and repose and dreams where life is one long slumberous sabbath the climate one long summer day and the good that die experience no change for they but fall asleep in one heaven and wake up in another and these boys have played baseball there baseball which is the very symbol the outward and visible expression of the drive and push and rush and struggle of the living tearing booming nineteenth the mightiest of all the centuries he told of the curious island habits for his hearers amusement but at the close the poetry of his memories once more possessed him. Ah, well, it is refreshment to the jaded, it is water to the thirsty, to look upon men who have so lately breathed the soft air of those isles of the blest, and had before their eyes the inextinguishable vision of their beauty. No alien land in all the earth has any deep strong charm for me but that one no other land could so longingly and so beseechingly haunt me sleeping and waking through half a lifetime 
as that one has done other things leave me but it abides other things change but it remains the same for me its balmy airs are always blowing its summer seas flashing in the sun the pulsing of its surf is in my ear i can see its garland crags its leaping cascades its plumy palms drowsing by the shore its remote summits floating like islands above the cloud rack i can feel the spirit of its woody solitudes i hear the plashing of the brooks in my nostrils still lives the breath of flowers that perished twenty years ago end of chapter one hundred and sixty eight introducing nye and riley and others read by john greenman